Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. You know, the sun is out at my house. I don't know about yours. And, you know, some, some ray of sunshine started to, to creep through in the great state of Texas and other parts of the country. Look, as it relates to the coronavirus, we know the future is somewhat unpredictable. And we know there are a lot of people suffering and a lot of people that have lost their lives. We're, we don't want to be inconsiderate to that. But we also know that there are some things happening in the state of Texas that are starting to look good, starting to look optimistic. Reasons to start planning for what we're going to be doing next in the state of Texas. We're going to talk a little bit about that today because it's not just about the economy. While the economy is important, a lot of areas of our lives are impacted by decisions that government leaders are making. And I think many of them are, you know, are well-intentioned. Uh, but we got to look at the, the facts, the details, and update as things go on. And one of the things that happened this week, if you are new to the show or if you've been to the, uh, listened to the show before, we've been running for almost five years now, um, 200 or so episodes, and we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom. This is our weekly radio show and broadcast, as, and we talk about those issues as it relates to the state of Texas, but we know that Texas can impact what happens in other parts of the country as well. So sometimes we'll talk about things from a national perspective. And today we're going to be talking in great focus about an important letter that came out from the Attorney General's office yesterday, a church guidance letter from Attorney General Ken Paxton and from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And so what better person to have on the show than a pastor of really one of the most well-known and well-respected churches in the state of Texas? Can't even pronounce my own state right. Welcome to live video. But um, so we're going to have Pastor Mike Buster on, and he is an executive pastor for Prestonwood Baptist Church, certainly one of the largest churches in the North Texas area, if not one of the largest churches in the state of Texas, as it relates to people that attend church there, but in also in, in the work that they do, in the presence they have, their uh, lead pastor there, Jack Graham, the service that they are to the community in just a lot of ways. So Pastor Mike Buster, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Thank you, Jonathan. So great to be with you. Well, you know, look, we talk about a lot of issues related to religious liberty, what's going on in law and policy, but let's not forget the important role that the church has just in general in people's communities, in their own spiritual lives. I mean, that's what the church is about. Tell us a little bit about Prestonwood Baptist Church and your role with the leadership team there. Well, I've been with uh, Prestonwood some 30 years. I've been with uh, Dr. Graham uh, 32 years, and uh, Prestonwood, uh, multi-campuses, uh, 44,000 members, and I oversee the uh, personnel, uh, the programming of the church, and uh, just assist Dr. Graham in uh, management of uh, a big staff and a lot of people. Well, that's no doubt. I mean, that's close to a football stadium. You know, I don't know how many people they put in Cowboy Stadium, 45,000. That's a big number. That's more than you'll get uh, for a high school football game in Texas in most parts of the state. But look, that also goes to, if you will, the responsibility, so to speak, that the church has serving so many people with, I'm sure, a variety of needs. And, and that is something that's on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis. And so something that you've been, you know, that the church has been doing um, a lot of work in for many years, a lot of great people, a lot of elected officials attend that church that also have influence um, on their communities. We know that there's been presidential forums. We know Governor Abbott was on a call with Pastor Jack Graham over the weekend. So 
you know, really a lot of great things that are, you know, uh, that two-way street that the church has there with its responsibility, but also what it's doing for people. So, you know, I think a lot of people look at churches and communities and entities of this size, and a lot of them are wondering, you know, how are you adjusting? I mean, with so many people that uh, are a part of your church and, and a responsibility, but also that care about are involved in that community, tell us a little bit about how Prestonwood Baptist Church here in Texas is adjusting to the COVID-19 issues. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Um, uh, to him, much is given, much is required. And we, we take the responsibility uh, very seriously uh, and understand we have other churches that are looking to us for leadership. And uh, boy, this has been uh, quite a ride the last six weeks. Uh, we, church is never going to be the same. Uh, and we potentially are going to get to craft our tomorrow. I think in this time, God is saying uh, to push forward with what is now. Uh, don't react all the time, but really try to set the pace. And so um, that's hard in shifting times like this. Uh, but we believe that uh, the shift is happening and re revitalization of the church is, a, is a, upon us. This is a God moment. It's, it's a world moment. Uh, we have good news for the world, uh, and that is... Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're seeing the gospel advanced in unprecedented ways. I would have never imagined, would have never be really believed if you told me uh, that uh, our ministry, we could shut down the, the sticks and bricks, as we call the church. We know the church is not sticks and bricks. Uh, it's people, and it's about uh, the mission, and it's about uh, relationships and, and the gospel, but the, the church is scattered right now. Uh, you know, we're not gathered in a building, uh, at least for the time being. We're scattered, but uh, that's the way it was uh, in the book of Acts often. It's, it's people met house to house, and, and our people are meeting house to house, and, and we're seeing unprecedented growth and outreach. Uh, every We started, created about 80 different ministries uh, that we would have never done. Uh, some of those we'll stop doing, but most of those we're going to continue to do even uh, years from now because we've discovered things that uh, we just didn't realize uh, that we can take advantage of uh, in ministry. Uh, so um, I even put together what I call coronavirus church in a box uh, with listings of all the things that churches can do uh, during uh, this pandemic. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, our governor, uh, who I think has, has led us well, uh, has uh, and our lieutenant governor Ken Paxton, who uh, is a member here at Prestonwood, they, they did uh, put out the uh, how to conduct services. Of course, uh, our governor declared churches are essential services, so we have never really had to stop meeting. You can meet uh, uh, this Sunday if if you really want to. I don't think that would be very smart, uh, and I don't think that'd be good leadership. But we could do it. Uh, now the guidelines are. Uh, pretty much what you would think they would be encouraging no one over the age of 65 together and those with underlying health issues to stay at home. Uh, even uh, the idea to have a senior service where maybe you, you have a service just for your seniors. Uh, that I thought that was an interesting suggestion uh, he gave. And then uh, equipping all of your ushers and greeters with uh, gloves and masks when you do gather, uh, sanitize hands, even to have wash pens where 
where people will get to wash their hands before they come in, uh, sit families in family units, spread them out, uh, obviously the social distancing, uh, then uh, refrain from passing collection plates and the sacraments. If you're going to uh, do the Lord's Supper, to, to have them individualized on a table, picked up as you came in, and then even dismissing uh, uh, the, the congregation row by row, uh, family unit by family unit. Uh, so those are let all me things. jump in real here yeah. real quick. We're, we're talking with Pastor Mike Buster, executive pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church in the North Texas area, one of the largest churches in the state of Texas and in the North Texas area, and, and probably for that matter for the country. Uh, pastor Mike, let's talk for a minute to, you know, just the idea conceptually. Tell us your thoughts on Attorney General Paxson and, and Governor Abbott's guidance letter. And just from the perspective, too, of now you've got the government no longer prohibiting in-church services. Now, as you know, and I want to make sure all of our viewers know this, it doesn't mean that now the, that the state is saying churches are required to meet. Now we're back to where we were before. People can, the churches can decide. But what were your kind of initial thoughts on the fact that now you've got the government stepping back and, and really trusting churches to decide what's best, but at the same time giving some good recommendations of how they can do it? Well, you're right. It doesn't mean we're going to do it. Uh, I think every church is going to be unique. Uh, the size that they are, uh, uh, their diversity that they have, the county in which they reside in, uh, and all of these are going to be factors. Uh, and, and so I personally see the smaller churches able to open before the large churches open up. Uh, here at Prestonwood, uh, we're more like an arena. So uh, it's, a, it's, it's more of a sporting event comparison, if you would. Uh, I read a statistic yesterday that was very alarming. It was 72% are saying that they will not attend a sporting event until a vaccine is found. Well, I, I don't think that translates necessarily in going to church, but there is fear that, that, that abounds out there. Uh, well, to your point on the fear, right, we've had uh, cases in other parts of the country where you've had churches just meeting in parking lots, doing the social distance, distancing, but then they got fined by the government. So you kind of compare that to now what we're doing in the state of Texas, where the government is saying, hey, here's some recommendations and some smart suggestions, but we're not going to be in the position of putting the church, you know, of threat of government punishment. And so, you know, I think, you know, some of the feedback we're getting too. Um, and I know we had a call earlier this week is, you know, a lot of encouragement that now the churches can decide how to handle this without worrying, thinking that the only option is to do nothing or to close, or they've got to worry about some punishment from the government. Correct. Uh, and, but we've got to be extremely smart and we want to be a part of the, uh, the solution, not uh, contribute to the problem itself. Uh, so uh, with that being said, uh, churches are going to have to discover for themselves what is that date that you try to have that first uh, Sunday gathering and what does that look like? Um, uh, you know, you, child care is probably not going to be an option uh, for most churches uh, and senior adults. I mean, if you take your senior adults out of the equation, uh, I think you could have some controlled uh, services. Uh, but uh, here at Prestonwood, we're probably not going to do that anytime soon. It, it may be, you know, end of May, 1st of June before uh, we uh, 
uh, you know, it may be uh, Pentecost Sunday uh, coming up at the end of May is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we're we're kind of looking at that date going, you know, that was the date that the church began. Uh, maybe around that date, it'll be when the church uh, re-begins and, and uh, we launch. Uh, but we don't know. We've got to, there's so much uh, information yet we're going to learn in the next few days, in the next few weeks, uh, that will determine when Prestonwood is going to be able to have uh, on-campus uh, services. Now, our online services are <laughs> exploding. Uh, we had nearly a million last year, I mean, last week. Uh, of course, it helped us that uh, the, the president was watching our services and, and tweeted that out. Uh, but uh, we've, we've grown tenfold. Uh, in online and are reaching a lot more people than we've ever reached before. Uh, and uh, we're seeing more professions of faith uh, on, online than we've ever seen by, you know, tenfold. Uh, so there's so many good things that are happening. The church, I think, is, is healthy, uh, but our people are suffering. It's the businesses that we want to see opened even before the church is open. Uh, and where our hope is our governor will release uh, these uh, most of our counties to go ahead and open up the businesses so that our people can can make a living. Uh, that's where we're seeing the suffering and the hardship is on uh, our people who are losing their jobs, losing their businesses. Well, there's no doubt that that economic impact is hitting people directly in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, from some church leaders we've been hearing from this week, also, you know, their ability to minister to those people that are dealing with those issues and dealing with those changes can be very important. And we're hoping we'll see that as people can start to plan and churches can start to plan about how they can meet in person and, and have that in-person connection. And I know a lot of, you know, while many of us are adjusting in a lot of ways, many of us miss that. Let me talk about the guidance letter, too, to, to some of the points that you made. You know, this guidance letter offers recommendations. It, it doesn't require people to do them. The, the government's trying to step out of the way and trust churches to come up with good ways to handle these things. And particularly, I think it's good that way, you know, there, we don't end up with a, a bunch of court cases tying churches and the government up and those things um, and them stepping out of the way and taking their role, that, which they usually have, where the churches have the freedom to decide how to handle issues. But there's a lot of detail in this church guidance letter, which people can find at txvalues.org with about just about how you seat people in the church, how you dismiss people, how you have people come in. And again, these are recommendations, but they are good guidelines as churches are, you know, many of them are probably wanting or considering opening up, but they also want to make sure that there's a responsible way to do it. Maybe they don't have, you know, some of the background to decide what is the best way. This guidance letter gives a lot of that good information and it has been interesting to your point, you know, you see a lot more interest, at least online, or that the technology has been there for us to be able to use so people can stay connected. And I know that's something, you know, with, with a lot of the technology that your church has, it's been great that people have been able to find that connection and not really, uh, you know, not, not have more of a negative effect as far as people not being connected to their faith, or at least their church um, community as well. And that's something that your uh, team there has done a great job of for quite a long time, and uh, and we're thankful for that. Yeah, it was easy for us because we were already doing a lot of it, but yet, uh, for instance, our Bible fellowship classes, we have 150 adult Bible fellowship classes, Sunday school classes, that uh, all 150 of them are doing Zoom meetings, and they uh, 
do them at the same time they would be doing Bible fellowship or maybe they do them or Sunday school or maybe they do them a different time. But we've, we've doubled our attendance. I mean, we've gone from, you know, seven, 8,000 in Bible fellowship or Sunday school attendance to now 15, 20,000. And that's, uh, because of technology. Now you really don't have an excuse to miss Sunday school because you can zoom like we're zooming right now and uh, have everyone together and to see everybody. Uh, I mean, that's, that's something that we had never thought to do, but we're even talking about continuing that even after uh, we, we are gathering and, and Bible fellowship classes can zoom and zoom out to people who aren't able to attend. And of course, now we have people attending our Sunday school that live in Montana. <laughs> so fascinating. Uh, it's it is fascinating as to uh, these the technology and what it's allowing us to do. Well, and before we lose you, Pastor Mike, I just something I want to mention while we have you on. I know a lot of people are watching. I hope they'll share this as we finish up with some of our comments in our segment. Is one thing that's in this guidance letter is that local governments, um, you know, that they may not. It's very clear on page one. Local governments may not order houses of worship to close. And again, it doesn't require churches to open. It simply has the church, the government stepping back and saying, we're not going to be the ones trying to force you to stay closed or uh, mandating that you do things a certain way. Here are some recommendations. But a lot of local governments, in, and particularly in other parts of the country, uh, but there have been some, some in the state of Texas that have gotten really close to the line or crossed the line. It hasn't resulted in any litigation just yet. But there were some letters sent out into North Texas into some communities that went too far from some of the local governments. But this makes it clear, the state guidance letter controls. So if any local government tries to be more restrictive, um, they will be superseded by this guidance letter. And I know that's something your church, uh, you have people coming from a, a lot of different uh, local governments, so maybe something of value to them as well. Pastor uh, Buster, we really appreciate having you on the Texas Values Report today. Really appreciate the friendship and the uh, working relationship we have with you and your team at Prestonwood Baptist Church. We look forward to continuing that. We know there are a lot of important issues coming up later this year as maybe uh, we're hoping things get back to, to maybe to some extent as they were before, get the economy moving in the right direction yeah. and also um, things that people care about. And we're great. Also excited to hear that you're having more com people connected to their faith and, and the work that you're doing. And we hope you or a member of your team will come back and join us again on the Texas Values Report. Anytime, Jonathan. Appreciate you and your ministry. Yeah. God bless you, sir. Well, great to have Pastor Buster on to talk about how such a, a large church, as he mentioned, 40,000 members, 44,000 members, and how you navigate all that and, and almost kind of turning a battleship around, if you will, so you can understand if maybe they might take a little bit more time to decide how they do it. But I think the key point here is now churches get to do that. Now they get to decide, is this right for us yet? Is it not? Whereas before you had this overriding threat of even if they wanted to, or if they want to consider that, you know, they've got to worry about navigating, you know, um, government laws and potential litigation and enforcement where now, as you heard pastor Mike say, they can start uh, planning. Okay. So now things are going to change. Now we can start putting a plan together and come up with a date so people can know what to expect and when to open up. And so, and I do think that's one of the key things of this um, houses of worship guidance letter is because I do think for, you know, even though it was a short amount of time, three or four weeks, people kind of, you know, for their first question in their mind is, Oh, well, what does the government say? You know, is it okay to do this? Those aren't really questions we've been asking as it relates to churches. I mean, there've been some, situations but they're usually the exception you don't wake up in the morning 
and say, oh, is it okay for me to go to church today? Uh, what has the government said on this? That's not really something that comes to our mind. I remember when, when some of these orders first came about, and I'm not suggesting that there not, might not have been good reason for them, but I'm simply talking about how kind of our concept of all these things and our mindset was really altered in a short amount of time um, over the past four or five weeks. And so, you know, we've set up a, a blog post and a, as a part of our website, just trying to monitor all this. I mean, how does the common, the average person keep up with, you know, these government rules that kept changing? And so if you think about it, um, when, when one of the first rules came into place, I remember it was a Saturday night. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, um, what time we need to get up and kind of what our schedule is going to be the next day for, for Sunday. And I remember getting an email or seeing a social media post or somehow becoming aware that the city of Austin had changed their rules and was implementing them starting at 2 a.m. in the morning on Sunday. And so, I mean, that, you know, it's on uh, really unfair to, ex to expect that that's going to be some reasonable amount of notice for people um, to deal with that. And so I remember going to church that next morning and, and members of our church um, were not even aware of it. The pastor, I think, may have uh, been somewhat aware of it, but, you know, some, some of the, uh, the, you know, the church services at my church, you'll have mass times that start at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. My point is, you know, a lot of us had to adjust very quickly to some of this, but now there's sort of this very quickly in a short amount of time, this mindset of us thinking we've got to think about what does the government say about us just going to church or really doing a lot of things these days. And so it's great to see that is a barrier, a prohibition, so to speak, that's been removed. Uh, but it doesn't mean that churches are now required to go back to normal, you know, tomorrow. Many of them may. Many of them, we've gotten some emails that churches are looking at having services this Sunday. You know, God bless them if they're ready to do that and they feel like they put in some procedures in place and some, some of these recommendations. They've got the freedom to make those decisions. But there's also a good recommendation in here about how to, how to help slow the spread of the virus. Still continuing to have drive-in style services, and I'm reading from it, drive-through services that have been going on for quite a bit. Really, um, how you have maybe different age groups attend that may be a little bit more vulnerable. And so I think it's good for people too, because they may be interested in doing this churches, but they also, you know, it gives them some value to say, okay, well, this is how our attorney general, the top law enforcement officer of the state has said to do things. And so some good insight there. Uh, this has been the focus of our Texas values report and weekly radio show this week of this church guidance letter, but I also want to uh, mention some other thing that we have been working on, and that is the case that's up at the Texas Supreme Court. This is a very important parental rights case. This case was argued at the Texas Supreme Court on Wednesday. If you haven't seen how they're doing things, they're doing virtual Zoom where you've got like, you know, 10 or 12 people on the screen, all the Supreme Court justices through YouTube. It was fascinating. We may put the video up later this week so you can see it uh, to see how justice is being really interact. A lot of times you don't see the Texas Supreme Court like that, or people are just not aware that they can see that, but it's different in these days. So I was able to view it. We filed a brief actually in this case, a legal brief at the Texas Supreme Court, Texas Values did, really making the point, and this is the backdrop of the case. Uh, it's a father that wants to continue to have uh, the sole custody of his daughter. And so at one point, the mother, the two of them uh, were not married. They came up with an agreement of how they'd split time with their child. And then the mother um, had a live-in boyfriend. Uh, the mother, unfortunately, passed away. And so now that boyfriend, and I think it, it may be that, um, that they became engaged to get married, but they never were legally married, um, has now trying to take away the custody rights 
of the father or, or to have some legal custody rights of his own, no biological connection at all, a very short amount of time that he's been involved with this child and, and the biological father of this daughter saying, you know, while it's unfortunate that the mother passed away, he, you know, a lot of us would see this as, okay, so now the father has the sole custody. How is this, this non-biological person that had a short amount of time in, in this child's life is going to step into the role legally as a parent and, and take away time and, and rights of this father and, and force him to split some of those up. So that's up at the Texas Supreme Court. We're supporting the father in this case. It was argued, really strong arguments on the side of protecting the rights of the father. So, you know, we see that, um, you know, if, if you have the government start to really equate that and allow anyone who doesn't have a biological connection and is not a parent to come in and sue uh, a parent of a child to get rights and custody, that could uh, be something that opens up that could be very, very dangerous and not just for fathers, but this could apply to mothers as well. Hey, before I forget, look, we're in April. We have our end of our fiscal year at the end of June. We really need your financial support. We have been seeing this, the, the coronavirus issues impact us. We've been trying to be sensitive about it because we know people have lost their jobs and they're hurting significantly. We understand that. We also believe the work that we're doing is extremely important. We've helped with the pro-life victory recently. We've helped with the guidance on these church services that I think has been one reason why we've been put in a position where things are going in a good direction now. Um, you heard what we did yesterday or this week at the Texas Supreme Court and a whole variety of reasons you can see at txvalues.org. Please make a tax-deductible donation to us today. We are a nonprofit organization. We also have people that work for us that are trying to take care of their family, but also their you know, they care about the work we do and about protecting your rights for faith, family, and freedom. And you can donate today at txvalues.org. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.